Hi, Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today from uh, finally rainy Vancouver. It's been a long time since I've had the chance to say that with the drought that's been going on, but we're very pleased and hopeful that it kills some of the wildfires that are going on here in my province. And equally hopeful that you're going to enjoy this conversation because I'm quite looking forward to it myself as I reach across the continent to close to the East Coast. And we'll have the opportunity to speak with Dorian Balmer and Don Boyer, both of whom are associate professors at the University of Pennsylvania. Doreen's the director of research on education at Children's Hospital. And Don is affiliated with the anesthesiology, critical care, and pediatrics department with the Perlman School of Medicine, and is also co-director of the Master's of Medical Education program at the same University of Pennsylvania. They have a paper coming out in the October 2021 issue of Medical Education entitled Navigating Landscapes of Practice, a Longitudinal Qualitative Study in Medical Education. Given the length of the rules I had to describe in introducing you, you're both very busy people, and so particularly grateful to get some time from each of you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Kevin. There are a few reasons that I want to talk about this particular manuscript and highlight it as part of our podcast series this month, one of which is this seemingly burgeoning concept of landscapes of practice, and the second of which is reflected in the subtitle of your article, which is the longitudinal nature of the study that you performed. Just sort of taking the first, I suppose, communities of practice is something that many of our listeners will be very familiar with, but the notion of landscapes of practice seems like a relatively recent addition to the medical education literature. So I would be remiss, I think, to not ask you to elaborate on that concept and let our listeners know what it is you were trying to explore. So initially, this is, again, tied to the idea of the longitudinal research. And one of the things that was very clear when we started the study was this notion of a community of practice that the participants created in the master's program. So we think of a community of practices are these groups of people that interact with and learn from each other to solve real life problems. And Etienne Banger's work. And it was really clear that that was happening in the graduate program. But because of the longitudinal nature of the study, they left the program. Our study was four years. The program itself is only two years. And in this case, the community of practice sort of dissolved at the end of the program. No animosity or anything, but they had moved on. What we saw they had done was really take the skills they gained, the competence or their identity as educators, and they had transferred it to other communities of practice, which is landscapes of practice, right? The totality of communities of practice. And so that's just like Wenger in his own work sort of shifted from a community to landscapes. It was very resonant with this work also that we sort of went in thinking communities of practice, which worked well for a time but it didn't have that movement in it that we needed and that you often need when you're doing longitudinal qualitative work. Right. So the landscape being that there are multiple communities interdigitated that the people move in and out of in their professional roles. And it sounds to me like that was something that evolved in your thinking about the study as opposed to what you went deliberately looking for, correct? Absolutely. Cool. With respect to context, Don, I mentioned at the beginning, you're the director of this graduate program. Can you Tell us what that program does and who the people are that are in it and sort of what their expectations are over the course of those two years. Absolutely. It's a really great program that I 
recognize my own bias in saying that and describing it as a great program, but I actually came through it as a student about nine, 10 years ago now, and then came onto the leadership team. It's a two-year master's program that's really modeled after the executive education format. So that means that we take people who have full-time jobs and are interested in you know, furthering their own education and their skills as medical educators. And so they come to us for two years of, you know, fairly intensive education training in the science of education. It's founded on four different blocks, certainly can go into details about each of those blocks, but it's a variety of mostly physicians, but we have had other interprofessional healthcare providers before as part of the various cohorts, and they come together and learn the science of education and then come from a variety of different fields usually throughout medicine and at all various levels of experience, which I think is also contributes to really some of the very interesting and unique aspects of the community, each community that comes in or each cohort that comes in, because people come who are still in training and some are coming almost in very senior years of their academic practice. And so these are most individuals who are on a education path of some kind or seeking the capacity to do that well. Yes, most of them are clinical educators in some capacity at their home institutions. Some are program directors, some lead various rotations or clerkships for their affiliated medical schools. Others are interested in educational research and really kind of embedding part of that into their educational practice, but they come from a variety of backgrounds with a variety of experience. Well, and during you already alluded to the idea that this notion of landscapes of practice emerged from your ongoing study. It wasn't a deliberate focus when you started. What were you trying to identify? What was it about this group that made it seem worth spending the time interviewing? Well, two things. What we originally were looking at was, from my perspective, is sort of educator identity. And there's been a number of studies on educator identity, not as much educator identity in these kinds of graduate programs. Uh, So that seemed like a gap in the literature. But one of the other things that why Don and I have worked well together is we've also built uh, in sort of a program evaluation component and use some of the information to really give back and inform the program. So again, that notion initially of educator identity, starting with actually a model that was pretty much about an individual transformation, and that quickly fell because we heard so much about this community. I found my people and, and mm. really engagement with each other. And then again, that community sort of dissolving at the time of graduation and then moving on to landscapes. And Don, is identity something that you've deliberately built into the curricular planning for this program? That again, just seems like an issue that captures people's experiences fairly well. So a really great question. It's not something that I would say is part of the explicit curriculum, something that has been intentionally built in, but certainly something that we became attuned to over, you know, from the experience of several cohorts was seeing how people's identities as they went through the course of study evolved with time. And I think that that certainly led us to question how people experience the program and how their identities may evolve as a result of the program. And I think what was really interesting to me from the master's program side was that program evaluation component, because at the time of the study's launch, we were probably in existence for about four or five years, and we had not really done a formal evaluation of the program to understand how people coming through the program had really experienced it. 
and what types of impact it had in their own professional day-to-day life. And so I think, you know, looking at the community piece, looking at identity formation, and looking at it through a little bit of a lens of program evaluation, albeit, you know, not the standard lens of program evaluation, I think made a really interesting combination. In fact, not that standard lens is a very fitting phrase. As I come back to the issues of the methodology, it's rare in health professional education to have longitudinal studies of any kind. Longitudinal qualitative studies are particularly rare in my estimation. However, what does that mean with respect to how you applied it to the study and what made it truly longitudinal as opposed to just a series of cross-sectional interviews? So... Your first question was about what made it the program evaluation piece. Because longitudinal work is longitudinal and takes a lot of time, right? It's very difficult to get in a situation where you say, oh, just wait five years and I'll have the information for you. So to do this kind of work and make it useful for people, as well as scholarship, we try to either after the interview questions are, are off or whatever to include a few questions that are very useful to the program leadership. So for example, on one of the times we ask about the different components and things like that. So that's just a way to sort of embed very utility focused questions into the interview. Whether or not you include those in your data set is a whole other issue. And your second question was about what makes this longitudinal. It's a great question. Well, and again, what I'm we're pushing towards there is I've seen a number of studies claimed to be longitudinal, but critiqued because, in fact, it was just a series of data collected over time as opposed to longitudinally integrated. And I would just love for you to tell our listeners more about how you ensure that this is a longitudinal study in the spirit of the term. So how I'm understanding it is that longitudinal qualitative research has a recursive component. And by that, I mean you are taking data that you previously collected back to the participants. So if Don tells me X, Y, and Z in year one, in year three, I might say, hey, remember when we talked in year one and you said X, Y, and Z, where are you with that now? And that's really, really critical because what happens is then participants can narrate their own growth. And it becomes this time of an opportunity for reflection an opportunity for them to sort of speak to their former selves. So it is still research, but it can be a really sweet time of reflection for them as well. And I think when we see that in the retention, we have, you know, very little dropout over the years. You build a relationship with people, you listen to them, they know that you heard them because you're sharing back with them things they said in the past. And so as a Program Director Don, what do you feel like you got out of this effort that you might not have gotten out of a more traditional or typical either research or evaluative study of a program like yours? Yeah, I think the opportunity for participants to be able to reflect back and hear their own voice from, you know, prior discussions with Doreen and Sam, our co-author, was a really rich opportunity to kind of see how they evolved in their experience with the program over time. And I think to us that informs as a leadership team for the master's program, how we shape the program going forward. 
For example, we thought as a team that the leadership block in the program had significant impact based upon my own personal experience as a student in the program and from kind of anecdotal evidence. But certainly hearing that in the stories that were being shared by participants, I think emphasized for us the value of that block and more so kind of what were some of the specific pieces of content from that block that were most valuable and how were they applying the lessons from that block into their everyday lives back in their own setting as medical educators or health professions educators. So to me, it was invaluable. And I think it was just data that we probably would not have gotten if we would have just sent them an evaluation at the end of a block or at the end of the program saying, hey, you know, tell us about your experience. This ability to revisit it over time, I think was really, really valuable. And what did you observe that led you to believe that landscapes of practice was a particularly useful concept? How did that play into your thinking about what people were getting out of this program and how they might be using it as they move away from it? So what was particularly helpful as a lens for understanding the data were the Wenger's moods of identification, engagement, imagination, and alignment. And sort of seeing the shifts in how people, the participants engage, shifting from, say, early on, engagement was very much about teaching, like a one-on-one connecting with learners. Over time, again, towards the end of the program and then two years out, engagement was much more about building a mid-career fellowship, creating new courses, you know, in the midst of COVID. And so how they engaged shifted how they imagine shifted, how they align shifted. And it's that movement, again, away from engagement, imagination in a single community, which was the master's program, to doing that in other communities within their own landscape. That's really what was very useful with the landscapes of practice model and earth way of thinking. Well, and that gets me wondering about implications in the sense that the, the communities of practice model, the, the question often comes up of, you know, can you manipulate it? Can you actually create a community of practice for people? Now you're talking about landscapes where things are transitioning and evolving, presumably in productive ways and, and otherwise. What are your current thoughts in terms of whether or not you can enable people to take advantage of those you know, longitudinal transitions that they're going through? I think from a program perspective, we haven't made any huge shifts in the content that we're teaching or necessarily the way that we're teaching as a result of this. But certainly we have always been and continued now to be very intentional about creating time and space for community building. That is a huge part of the program. Now, what happens within that community building That's at the individual and the cohort level. You know, we can't force each individual to be part of the community or want to be part of a community that's forming. We can't force a cohort to, you know, take on a sense of community that feels one way or another. But we can certainly, as program leaders, create time and space to allow that to evolve as it will, hopefully fairly organically. And I think we can also really help our students think about, you know, you came to this program thinking about some letters after your name, a piece of paper on your wall, but what we've learned from people who've come before you is that it goes so far beyond that, right? And it's about what you take from this program to carry back into your own institution, into your own practice as educators that is really valuable. And I think integrating that, you know, lessons from the past can be really informative for students who are actively going through the program in the moment. Mm -hmm. 
And so do now make an effort to bring the cohort back together after a period of time when they've formally completed the program or have they scattered to the winds at this point? That is a great discussion and an ongoing topic of discussion. We are really interested now that we are, you know, five cohorts into this program. We have well over 150 alumni of the program now. I think this is the time to really start thinking about intentional alumni connections, bringing cohorts back together, and really thinking more largely about the larger, you know, Penn Masters in Medical Education community. People from my cohort who've never met, you know, students who are in the current cohort, and what might that look like? And so we are definitely thinking about, you know, how do we just, again, create time and space for people to come together to make what they will of that community and of those opportunities. And at the same time, realizing that the end of a community of practice, say at the end of the program, isn't a failure, right? Mm-hmm. It would be a failure if they stopped, right. didn't apply or didn't transfer what they learned and what they took from the community of practice that was the graduate program. It would be a failure if they didn't transfer that. But indeed, they did transfer that. So that sort of brings up a little bit of tension, like we're not bringing alumni together without expecting it to be this community that it might not be. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations on so many levels. This is, first of all, 150 people through a program like this is a feat unto itself. But to have shared a paper that we've only just you know, touched the surface of in terms of methodological richness and theoretical richness and practical implication, it's a very interesting read, even for those who aren't necessarily interested in graduate training in medical education, because it's got the intertwining of so many of those very important aspects of all the work that we should be doing. So I look forward to seeing how this work continues to evolve for you and wish you the best of luck in what sounds like the continuing to evolve planning stage for the next phase of the program itself. We're in one more round of this regular interviews, and we've also added an arm with the students in the class of 2022 mm-hmm. who had to be virtual because of COVID. So now we have this interesting in-person mm. and virtual arm that we will also pursue. Excellent. So you will not be short of work anytime soon, which is just good news. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. And then for those who want to uh, hear the additional details before that next paper comes out, let me just remind you that you'll find it under the authorship of Doran Bomber, Samuel Rosenblatt, and Donald Boyer, paper titled Navigating Landscapes of Practice, a Longitudinal Qualitative Study in Medical Education. And it's in the October 2021 issue of Medical education. Thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much.